and welcome to the Level Design Secrets panel at EGX Digital 2020. I'm Mark Drew from Command Studio and I'll be the interrogator in this panel where we try to expose the long-held secrets in the world of level design. We'll be shining the light on our suspects or men, our guests, to get information that others are too scared or perhaps have signed more NDAs to divulge. Under the spotlight are Valentina Chrysostomo, known for working on titles such as Red Dead Redemption 2 and Ant Workshop's Dead End Job. She's now lead game designer at Command Studio. Hello, Valentina. Hi, everybody. It's nice being here. Nice to have you on the show. From coaxing Shu to now working at Hangar 13 on the masterful remake of Mafia, level designer Jonathan Wilson. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, everyone. And last but not least, best known for Silent Hill Origins and Silent Hill Shattered Memories, that is best played on a Wii, apparently, Rob McLaughlin, lead designer at the Chinese Room. Hello, Rob. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. And I'm going to now start by asking you some questions and I'm going to get my handy notepad to uh, really uh, get some questions going. So forget what you do right now, right? Let's travel back in time and forget that you're level designer. And remember like those few times that you started doing this job and what are the, the, the misconceptions that you had before you started the job with the ones that you kind of find out whilst on the job, like in the first few years? If you can re rewind your brain back in time, who would like to go first? I'll start with that. I cast my mind back to being a foolish young level designer. Let's slip back in time and see what I did wrong. So when, when I first started being a level designer, I started in um, doing Quake levels. And uh, with that, it was a case of creating a corridor and then building a room off a corridor and then building another room off that and then another room and then seeing what the hell happened. Um, those days are long gone. It's brilliant. We're now much more professional. We make plans. We draw things out on paper. We we write down uh, story beats. We uh, get everything all ready. And by the time we start putting things in an engine, we're already well on the way to making a great level. So the seat that that secret is uh, planning. Uh, and spreadsheets, I presume. Oh yeah, lots of spreadsheets. Yeah, very colourful spreadsheets. Jonathan, can you wind your mind back? I think it's like for me, it's going through a lot of different phases, but a lot like Rob, it definitely comes down to the planning process, and I think underestimating how much is actually involved in the planning of a level and how much you are actually responsible for. So it's like early on, you a lot of people can think, and I think we still get the misconception sometimes is, oh, you're just responsible for the layout. Nope. You will be responsible for first doing the layout, but then scripting all the logic, chasing up all the asset requests and everything like that. You basically become like a mini producer of your own space, uh, which has a whole different like role and skill set in itself. And obviously I love that now, but it was a lot more than what I actually expected the initial role to be when I first started doing it professionally. Because I used to just like building spaces, right? I'm not a programmer, like the logic can be done somewhere else. How about you, Valentina? I have to agree with all of that and also add that I think when I first started I was thinking more of an environment art rather than level design and I was thinking oh I want to place all these things and and like make it look pretty and add the lighting and do all the things that don't first establish the flow or don't first establish the space and the metrics and the base things that you need to have in a level so I think that was kind of like a mistake because you really want to jump in and want to see everything finished instead of like understanding that it's all about working from the beginning on very rough designs and then maybe you'll end up getting there. So 
now that you've got that young person there, what bit of advice would you tell them to, you know, yourself joining in? I think that iteration would be key and to be patient and a lot of things would be, a lot of things will evolve over time and that's something that's, you can't just rush, everything's gonna come along together nicely at the end, you just have to like make sure that you do your research and you know what your story is and you know uh, maybe what what kind of assets will you have and just the scope of the game and all of that and then think about how beautiful it will look and uh, getting getting it all done it'll get there at one point rob is there is there any advice you'd give your young self i think um it's it's the it's that very first bit of planning it's that kind of almost mission statement for the level uh, when i cast my mind back to how i used to create levels um i think it's the most successful levels i made and continue to when i see successful levels i think they've always got something in common which is a, a mission statement that says this is what this level is trying to do this is what I'm trying to do with this level this is what I'm trying to achieve this is what I want the player to feel uh, and experience when I'm when they're playing the level uh, so that that very first bit of planning before you put almost anything else on paper that's that's that key thing that I'd say to my younger self do that first and everything will follow I, th- I think um, similar to Valentino and Rob it's setting that goal uh, and if you have that one very critical defined goal for what you want to achieve with your level, if you achieve that and nothing else, then you've still established something like kind of successful and you've paid that off at the same time. And that might be the big set piece or it's the big story beat or the narrative beat that has to punch in. But if that's the one mis- like objective of your space, at least you know that from the get go and everything else builds towards that. It's having a mission statement. Mission statement. I, I like that. And I like that as well that uh, mission statement is both like a very corporate thing. Our mission statement today is this. But it's also like, no, no, that your mission statement is like, we're going to go and shoot all the bad guys. So we're going to have loads of bad guys. That's the mission. And that's the statement for my mission. Um, <laughs> m- maybe that's just me. Maybe that's the levels that I'm building. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you plan your days out, Mark. <laughs> well, you know. you got to have a hobby, Rob. you got to have a hobby. Next question, from from Blocktober to various different other, you know, like show, showcases of people's level design work. I think sometimes you can have the the conception that all that level designers do is make grey box levels, right? How close to the truth do you think this is? Is this like what a level designer does? I mean, I realise that there's, we have like different levels companies here and I wanted to get your, your, your views at kind of like different levels i'll i'll start i think um it's uh it really really varies from company to company uh there are still some companies which um have the old style level designers at who will be part environment artist and who will be placing a lot of assets and stuff in the level but i think that i would be on the solid ground to say that generally in the industry now a level designer is someone who doesn't do that, but has a hand in that. And like uh, like John Jonathan was saying earlier, uh, you become you are the producer for your level. You are producer for the gameplay that happens in your level. So you will be doing blockouts, yes, and you will be writing narrative beats, yes, and you will be doing the scripting. Um, so I think in some ways, blockout is is. A first bit of a very long process because one thing that people don't appreciate sometimes is that once you've done your block out 
sometimes that's it <laughs> and it's locked down and it goes to art and they're going to work on it out and you can't change anything because if you do your 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 actual producer will get very very cross with you because they'll have to schedule art time to redo all this all the block all the, the layout you've done all the pretty so often, things yeah you get shunted off into a layer that only has the gameplay in and you can mess around with that as much as you want and change that and put a little scripting in that but but you're not you're not doing block out anymore after that on pain of death i'll kind of jump off the back of what rob said he's right like the block out can always be a part of it but it does differ studio to studio and especially on the type of game you're doing uh like if you're let's say for example you might be building something like gta which is quite art driven it's a recreation of a city or something like that the block out becomes less important and will be you'll do it for your mission space but will be farmed off to art a lot sooner than what you might be if you're doing a fantasy game or a sci-fi game where you can take a little bit more liberties with what you're building um but yeah it's a very small part of the puzzle in the overall level design thing a lot of it now comes down to you script the logic you are you have to take ownership of the space it's your responsibility to make sure the gameplay still comes across it's you have to work with the artist once your block out is gone to make sure the gameplay intent doesn't get lost in all the art that goes in all the lighting and everything well like the that. mission yeah. statement at the beginning right it's, yeah so like exactly you, you're even in charge of how the art works with the mission statement yeah so you it becomes you fundamentally just become like a producer on that side while you're putting all this gameplay logic in and it's your responsibility to make sure what you designed is still there at the end of the day once all of this stuff comes online so the block out is a very small part of the actual process of a level designer i would like to add on top of that actually something a little bit different which is when you're working for an indie studio like on a smaller indie game blockouts might just not be as prominent as they are in AAA. so you might do simple designs of what it might look like and if it's a 2d game it might not be the traditional kind of like block out like we imagine it it can be something that looks different but it's still the block out because it's still like the layout phase of of your developments where you still have everything raw and you're testing how your mechanics feel in the level itself so it might feel a bit different it might be like reuse 2d assets and that can be called the block out of the level and and, and so there's just different types i guess it not, it not only differs from company to company in AAA, but also might look different depending on your project, what, what the blockout right. phase is for each project. Yeah, because different. I guess a 2D game is going to be completely different to that. And even a third-person game, I guess, would work quite differently to a first-person game, even though the, because the camera is higher, you can see a little bit more. And I don't know. I haven't done a third-person game yet. Our viewers or listeners um, who are using like Mario Maker, Super Mario Maker to make levels. You know, when you've when you've created a level in Super Mario Maker or in many 2D games where uh, you will have a toolkit of pieces that you're that you can use. Um, once you've done the block out effectively, uh, the, the level is almost finished visually and gameplay wise. So that that can be a really much a very interesting way of uh, creating levels uh, because you're you're producing almost finished gameplay as you go. Uh, so that that's that's a really good point from Valentina there. That, um... Same with Dreams. I would argue it's the same with Dreams, uh, the game that came out on PS4. It's um, when we talked to Peter Phil, he mentioned how you can use all the assets in the game, but they're ready. They don't have boxes for you to do blockouts. It's you can use the assets to make your level, your first level, basically your first level pass, and then you iterate on that. So it might look finished. It might look play playable and nice. 
So, but can still that can still count as block block out though, right? That's still your very first pass of just to feel how the flow feels and see if if if, if there is a narrative game, if there are if the bits are hit exactly, and all of that is just the first iteration, basically. I, th I think the important thing to realize is, I guess, a block out isn't just the block mesh. It's not just the actual layout itself, right? It can be a prototype or a proof of concept for what it is you're trying to achieve. So there can even be bits of logic in there. And that's like Matt Valentina mentioned with Dreams. In Dreams, there's assets there already, right? So you're, you, it could look a lot more finished than just cubes everywhere with a bit of color on them. But it all comes down to the editor you're using or the assets you have available for you to try. Um, but it's like going to final is when it goes to art and the, all the new assets go in or whatever. But whatever you've got in your toolkit or your arsenal could still be classed as the block out phase based on the assets provided to you. Because sometimes I think, uh, and this is a story I heard uh, from Creative Assembly when they're putting together Alien Isolation, it was very difficult to do the block out and the game engine until you added a lot more art and mood because otherwise, even as a prototype, right? This is a prototype space. And Rob might be able to tell me more, but because it was going to work or not work, and even as a prototype, as a block out, it, it had to have all these different elements in it for for you to see if it was going to work. I mean, obviously, this is a much bigger game that did work, but I'm sure there's lots of games that have or have not done that. I'm sure there are other genres where it's uh, also a, a big issue, but horror is particularly exposed to that problem in that a lot of the atmosphere and uh, sort of player narrative that you're trying to deliver is based a lot on uh, finished visuals and audio. And when you might play, you might play through a horror level in a block out, in block out form and it might, you might think it's completely missing the mark. Um, and you find out very, very late <laughs> whether you've been successful or not. Uh, and if you're lucky, uh, you have the time if you've made any major mistakes in how you th in how you thought the horror was going to work. You've got time to go back over your previous levels and change them. That's also an interesting point about horror games because you have to believe in your scares throughout the whole development because you're used to them and you might go through them over and over again even at the end and not feel the actual horror of the game but it might work on other people when they play it for the first time but for you it might just like oh no like I don't think this works but it can actually work that's why fresh eyes I think especially at the end of the development for a horror game is really important yeah I think with horror like it is the atmosphere so your layout might not be so important like the haunted house is going to be built by an artist to a very specific skill but you'd be looking at different aspects I guess you'd be prototyping the kind of like Valentina said the scares and things like that which are all well and good during that phase to pro prove them out but by the end of the project you're desensitized to this probably so this is where we move into stuff like looking at usability testing and focus testing because you're no longer going to be scared by your own stuff right and no one on the dev team probably is by this point I was reading very interesting thing about uh, Edith Finch the other day uh, one of the levels which emotionally hit me the hardest well probably of almost any level in any recent game was the bathtub level. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's not played that marvelous game, but the the conclusion of that is uh, is uh, a real sort of gut shot. And um, I saw someone said that when the development team were making that, they weren't really thinking about the emotional impact anymore. They were just trying to get the damn thing to work. 
and so it didn't all all these emotions and narrative beats they don't they don't come together until quite late and 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 they don't work until it's there in front of the player because the development team uh, like Valentina said they're very very used to these things and they just don't they just don't see them after a while and to see them as problems to be solved yeah and i think that's why a lot of uh, development companies take their time to polish the games it's like why they're delayed and everything because the you only see what your game feels like and looks like and what it plays like after it's finished after it's kind of close to the finishing line and you can see the the main vision and everybody can see the main vision of the development team because if you start working on something and you're at the first two years and everything's just basically a blockout mesh and the characters animations are barely working and you, you can't really see that you you have to have a lot of faith into the project in the project so yeah i think absolutely needs to like reach close to the finish line that's where you start seeing what works and what doesn't and that's when you actually start fixing and changing stuff properly to make it feel good and also i guess to, to match the mission statement right Let, let's say we're building a horror thing for whatever reason I mean, not that I just introduced you as the guy that knows Silent Hill a little bit well on the Wii, but you know, if you've got a mission statement, so this is the, this is the the feeling that we're trying to give the player here. This is the the thing. After six months of working on that level, or however long it is, you ain't going to be feeling that, right? You're going to be that textures off that, you know, that triggers not doing the right thing. You know, you would have completely forgotten, not forgotten, but emotionally forgotten that so like when you get to the end you have to see are our players receiving what what we wrote down here but the, the other thing is with that obviously game development's a long kind of drawn out process right so when you do come up with that vision or that mission statement at the very beginning like you're you you become the vision holder and you've got to squint and really look at the level and when everything comes online when the animations work right when the sound comes in you've got to believe in the idea that that's when the feeling's going to come together but that doesn't come together and so late in development you kind of just got, you pray and hope it's going to work. And obviously you've did laid all the groundwork, you've did all the research, you've laid out the plan of how everything should come together. But there is an event where if that doesn't work, that's where you need to have that polish time carved out. Because so you have some time to adjust and tweak. It's like, what's missing the mark? Or like, what is that audio cue that you thought would come and pay it all off? Is this VO conversation not working right? But because all this stuff comes together at different times, like you have to have a little bit of chance to polish or correct it. So we've we've scared the players, but we know that players are pretty smart. What do you think are the tricks, or the I say tricks, the methodologies of making the player feel smarter? You know what I mean? It's like they've played games, they 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 think they're pretty clued up, but you know, in in that's the job of a level designer, right? Well, and an environment artist, but it's also like part of what comes under flow or. What what do you think is is a good tri- tips or tricks to make players feel smarter? Okay, so my answer to that would be, it does depend on the mechanics that you've built into your game design, and the way that you've it's a horrible word tutorialized those or taught them to the player. The best way of t- teaching a player to do something is to let them use the mechanic in such a way that they feel like they discovered it themselves, while holding holding the hand to an extent about how it should be done. Uh, that could be just presenting them with a really simple problem that can only be solved with the mechanic you're trying to teach them. Was it like um, uh, Half-Life had a... And I'm going to get this wrong, and I apologise, everyone. I'm meant to be like encyclopedic knowledge of this. Was it a plank and you had a crowbar? And it's literally 
here's a plank. Here's yeah, a that program. was the, the famous Half Life Assault course, wasn't it? Yeah. And the 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 the, the, the infamous crouch jump that was something completely foreign to almost everyone. The one tutorial that I know, I mean, they did a lot of stuff, but one of them is the one when you face uh, the first time you have to take the saw blade right. out of... Um, Ravenholm. God, I don't know the creature's name. Out of name. the zombies. The I think so, yeah. Oh, and then yes, you, when you take idea. it out, an enemy comes, and then you're like, oh, 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 oh I want to like hit that enemy. You have the saw blade. I'm like, one-on-one oh, one together, boom. And then you hit him, and then you understand that you can't throw yeah, the first saw blade you find is actually in a corpse that's stuck on the wall that's obviously been chopped in half. So you pull it out, and you spent the last time, the last few uh, minutes chucking things around with dog. Uh, so you've learned to throw things with the um, with the with the gravity gun, and then you pull this out, and it's just like, oh yeah, I know exactly what I need to do. And then a very slow, slow shambling uh, zombie comes towards you, and it's just like, yeah, I, I think almost everyone would do exactly the same thing at that point. It's just throw things in half. <laughs> yeah. But but it's those kind of hidden tricks, isn't it? It's like you're you're trying to set up a situation yeah, where yeah. the only output is the one that you want as a level designer. Okay, so I've been thinking very lot, a lot recently about um, uh, more systemic uh, uh, games like Prey and like um, Dishonored from the wonderful Arcane, um, and uh, I was thinking about encouraging people to uh, get high. And stay high, especially in Dishonored. Now you mean like level wise, not not in any other way. Oh yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not just go to another place. I mean, I suppose you've got the outsider levels to go with that bit a little bit. Um, it's really interesting to compare the way that, for example, uh, Thief or Thief Two or System Shock Two might do a high route, and they would do it in such a way that it would be almost right in the player's face so you would have a vent that was like really really obvious that you would go into it would stand out really well and you'd see it almost as you came in the room and it might be difficult to get to and you go oh if i go in that vent i can do something and that would be the player would build do you remember in scooby-doo cartoons sorry if i'm doing a bit retro here but you know like you'd see like the background panel was all like like nicely right, painted yeah. and then i know you'd what have you mean the, 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 the object in it that just might like be lit stood. differently yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah, so that's, that's a very good thing about old point and click games. Have yeah, it. yeah, there's a very slight difference in visuals there. So, but if you if you take that, that's not the approach that Dishonored, for example, or Prey does nowadays. There is a there is a sort of tissues of uh, intertextuality or whatever that are that the players know that there are there's the ability to do these things. So, it's not like those these games have to teach the player like Thief and System Shock did had to because these were completely new to gaming. But um, in Dishonored, they'll just put in some chandeliers that are really high and they'll look kind of inviting, but they won't be called out. They would be placed on an altar with spotlights shining on them. They'll just be there and the player will use that, the visual language that they've kind of absorbed throughout the previous bits of the game to go, oh, I can jump on those chandeliers and I can climb up there or I can jump on that roof and I can climb up there. If I go on those windowsills, I can get up to the top. Uh, so it's it's there's a lot more i think that, that to go back to your question that's the player feels far more um clever and invested and engaged if you do it the second way because they're not being like go go there it's in fact the player goes oh i bet no one's done this before but of course almost everyone has 
uh, leading off what like kind of upset, I think the tutorialization thing of mechanics is obviously the first step we get. However, we choose to tutorialize some of our mechanics is important, but the visual language, which was the next thing you kind of led on to, I think is possibly one of the most important things we do in games, especially as like level designers. Obviously, once it's decided upon like how something functions throughout a game, kind of has to always function that way because we're trying to condition the player into understanding how something works. So being able, the jump height to get onto those chandeliers, for instance, and stuff like that. So they might look inviting, but it's also, they'll always be a set distance apart or at a set height and things like that as well. So all this stuff has to be consistent from stuff you can climb across, stuff you can vault over, stuff you can climb up, and eventually the player gets into a rhythm as they go on throughout your game. But if one level in, let's say, a string of five or 10 levels breaks this, then you kind of have that disconnect with the player and they're suddenly kind of like, they may just think the game's broken, um, but it is just, you have to be careful and find that balance. And that's why it's so important to define these things like very early on. Um, and the visual language one can be applied to mechanics. It can just be environmental stuff for guiding the player. And as long as it's used consistently, they 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 feel clever because they're figuring it out themselves, right? You're not putting a UI icon across the map or across the border saying, jump here, go here, press this, do that. Instead, they're actually, their brain's processing the brightness on the screen, the colors that appear on the screen, the type of objects they've interacted with in the past. And they just do that continually. It's like s solving micro problems before they get to like the actual big objective or main objective goal. I mean, I, I remember something exactly like that, which was, in one of the DLCs for Dishonored, I can't remember which one it was, and you start out on a balcony. I think it's Billy Lurk, but it might be, it might be uh, incorrect. And there's a jump that you should make, so you're just above the guards to another tower that you can see, but your jump doesn't go that far. And you're like, wait a minute. And I think it was like, I mean, it, it okay, it took me hours, right? But it probably takes someone a few seconds. But, you know, you're looking around going like, you want me to get there, obviously, because it's a weenie. It's a, it's a, it's a thing there. But uh, it then, then you're like, wait a minute. There's these uh, lamps hanging in the middle of the, you know, that I could jump onto. Could I jump onto it? Because it look, you know, sometimes you jump onto things and you slide, and you like jump onto it, and then do a quick jump onto the other thing, and you're like, hey, I'm the smartest person here. And then they spot you. But that's that's another story. So that's kind of like talking about the affordability and the actions that, that someone can do. But how about the inverse? How, you know, like we're making people feel smarter by discovering stuff. But what tricks do you use for people to go to areas that they shouldn't go? Like rather than having those invisible, like bouncing against a glass, like, you know, blockout zones or, or no-go areas, you know, uh, uh, what would you suggest to be like, like, oh, no, you can't go here. I mean, apart from putting maybe like don't, stop signs or something wasn't that like in the last of us valentina that they had like a this is the way you go all the street all the all the uh all the street um uh what's it called like the the one way and things like that all were like guiding the player to the to the goal <laughs> there were examples of that yeah i think if we want to generalize it which is very hard because each game is different it would be um definitely i think we've uh, we're far away from putting just invisible walls, basically, or like this collision that you can't go through a thing. Depending on the game you can have, if you can't walk into the sea, maybe the character can start walking in, but then they'll say something like, oh no, the water's cold, and they backtrack or something like that. So it's you can do little 
you cannot build up details like that in your game that fit into what the game is doing and without having to literally put a wall or like objects uh, you can pile up objects that make no sense sometimes right um, so I think you can do a lot of stuff like um, even something simple let's just say in the game manager where at one point you go up um, and in the open ocean it's not really open though they don't allow you to go past there's just like these fences in the water that like in real life at one point there's like this kind of like a fishing net i'm not exactly sure what it's called and you can't get past that but that's something you'll find out in the open sea too was to protect like sea life so it is a way to block the player from going somewhere but it does make sense in that context and it does and, and it doesn't make it feel like oh it, it, the developers don't want me to go there Obviously, you don't want you to go there, but it's it's not something that's jarring as invisible walls or something that feels um, that it doesn't belong there in the environment. So I think a lot of the tricks are just making something that fits the style of your game, whether that's something visual or maybe, like I said, if, if maybe a dialogue line or something else, like you can make a lot of different stuff that can can make the player understand that they can't go there or even make them backtrack themselves. One of the things that I remembered was of the vanishing of Ethan Carter at the beginning you come out through a train line I think and there's a whole bunch of forest around you which doesn't look like particularly dense but it kind of like because the paths are so well laid that when you go through one area you don't want to go into the forest. I don't know if that makes sense. It's, it's always like kind of guiding your way. But if you try to go to the forest, you are blocked by invisible wall because I could totally slip between those trees, man. I could totally like walk through that. But it's kind of saying like, nah, in this reality, you don't. And uh, the other one that always stuck with me was in Prey, you can kind of float to Earth if you want to, right? I don't think you can. But, you know, like if you go outside the ship, you can float away and keep on floating and keep on floating. I think in that context, though, eventually they could just kill you because the atmosphere would burn you up. So that's their like dead end. Right, for that, right. right. It's like, you shouldn't do this. We let you float <laughs> yeah. up far enough. That's, that's a real kill zone. That's a, like a... But if you did all that effort, they yeah, should yeah. do something. And like, nice try, kid. In Ethan Card as well, the um, player walk speed was, was quite slow as well. So generally... Yeah, I think with that, the, the the tricks they used were the forest didn't look very interesting. It didn't look like there was anything past the forest. The path looked much nicer and it was a bit of a pain to walk through the forest, especially if you slowly got into dead ends and things. I think the very worst thing you can do is really call out that barrier. You, you, you should never, as a level designer, put yourself in the position where you've got to make a stupid barrier. Um, so the, the 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 worst one is like um, a barrel on some stairs that you know a child could climb over, but somehow the superhero that you're controlling can't yeah can't climb over it. That might make sense in your game because if in 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 one's game that where you don't have jumping and climbing and all that, and a simple fence can stop you from going somewhere, a barrel on the stairs can make sense. But if you're playing Uncharted and you see a barrel on the stairs and you're trying to jump over it, you can't. Then you kind of start thinking, oh well. There's something off here. Yeah, it feels cheap. Uh, so as, as a level designer, you should be always trying to avoid that need to just plonk something there. That's a technical term, plonking something there. So if you, rather than, uh, uh, to use an example of, a, of maybe a city environment, you shouldn't build a street which you can never 
have a payoff in. You shouldn't build a street that it doesn't make any sense. There's a building halfway across it blocking it, um, especially if you're not in a, a lovely post-apocalyptic environment where you can just arbitrarily collapse a building and block off a street. So Ah, oh, those lovely post-apocalyptic environments. Yeah, absolutely. So lovely to make. The, the, the thing you should do is not make that street in the first place and instead introduce uh, almost a sort of porous barrier that the player goes into and then turns themselves around naturally. So almost like a maze where they they just lose interest and or automatically get turned around. So if that building, if you do have to have a building at the end of the street, go ahead, make it so that the player can go inside it and then they'll walk around inside a room, maybe pick up something and go, okay, well, there's nothing for me there and go out again. But if they come to the same building and you and it's just completely blank and flat and you can't go in it, it looks so out of place and the player will just go, hmm, I can see why you put that building there. So don't don't call it out. Don't don't put yourself in a position where you have to call it out and make a kind of porous barrier where the player just naturally turns themselves around. And also I think these days it's kind of fun working with invisible barriers. It's not it's not a chore anymore. I feel like it's part of the gameplay sometimes, the way uh, that you can build your levels in a way that end interestingly or they feel they don't feel like they block the player from going places they feel natural but at the same time you can like implement maybe mechanics or like some other stuff that kind of for example in rdr2 i know in the opening level when you're in the in the mountains and it's so snow if you try to stray away there's gonna be a snowstorm suddenly around you and that doesn't allow you to leave that area so those kind of ways it's a it's a whole like set piece for example you can make different types of like gameplay for something that should be simple if you think about it it's just oh it's the end of the level it's somewhere we don't want you to go back then we might just add like added like invisible walls but now it can be a fun part of the game or even just add some detail that like a nice animation that the character plays and it's like oh look i can't fall over or something and they let the character plays this nice animation is kind of cool to look at and that becomes something nice instead of frustrating that you can't go past that barrier i think that kind of gets back to like we talked about earlier on like having that time to polish right you know you need to block the street or you need to not let the player wander off at the end of a mission or whatever so like if you've got that time to really you finish the mission the mission's pretty much locked it's locked down you just want to make these moments not because basically you're trying to lock the player in a space you don't want it to feel super like contrived or brutal to lock the player in so creating a snowstorm is quite a nice moment like it's a set piece for the player to watch for instance instead of just this hard stop of hitting an invisible wall and like talking about this uh made me think of uh remember me uh which is a ps3 game that came out years ago by don't nod and i loved it because it was new it was neo paris the city looked amazing uh, but it was a very linear game and i remember i think i was in like a town square and i could go off to the left and i could go down some stairs and you can just see this vista of neo paris going down these stairs you get about two rungs down and just hit an invisible wall and i was just like you're actually encouraging me to want to do this. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. definitely one of the cities I would have always wanted to go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's like that's one of the examples of this that has always stuck with me. It's like, you're luring me in because this looks beautiful and I want to go here. And despite the game might be linear, you just don't have that stairway there. You close a gate at the top. I mean, have, have a balcony. Like yeah. a, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, a balcony. Yeah. A lovely ornate balcony <laughs> that you could just stand at and sip, sip yeah. a strong uh, Parisian espresso. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like perfect. put anything else, mm-hmm. if you can, anything other than an invisible collider that has no context being there, right? I think co- contextual blockers are probably the safest mm-hmm. thing and easiest thing to do. But yeah, definitely set pieces are a really cool way, not huge set pieces, but even like, for example, you're walking in the forest like in deer, um, like in Ethan Carter. And, and I know that game didn't have that, but maybe you, let's just say you start wandering off and maybe there's like a tree falling and it blocks your way or something happens and then the character gets scared and they start to run off in another direction and then you move on from that. So that kind of the developers are kind of stopping you from going places. Um, so yeah, I think definitely like is a nice, nice subject to like work on during game development. And I don't think it's something like oh they just put something there like a barrier or, and just forget about it. It might be actually fun to work on and implement. I like this idea of porosity. I guess that's that's a new a verb now. That's uh, that I'm gonna take from Rob. We've talked about the, all these things, and th- there is a show like Desert Island Discs that if you like th- stranded on a desert island, you can only take you know certain albums or whatever what are what are the tools from your level design tool bag you don't have to be on a desert island i mean it, it could be far cry but anyway that analogy has has not worked what what one tool from your level design tool bag if i had to take all of the other ones away would you keep whatever that tool bag is whether it's a pencil basically. all right we, uh, do you mean do you mean something you use to make levels, or do you mean a, a technique you Anything use you in want, your right? levels? Okay, with a, te- a technique that I'd use in my levels, uh, I think for me it would be letting the player plan their attack, letting the player plan their their actions. So that is that first shot of the level mm. when you come in, and ideally you see exactly either exactly what you're meant to do, or you see a few things that you'd really like to do. So giving the player space to plan and strategize and go, right, this is how I'm going to approach this. I used, I, I always give this example, um, so apologies if you heard it already uh, on a previous podcast, but um, in Goldeneye, a lot of the doors have windows in them. So you come to a door uh, and you can look through the window and you can have this ridiculous uh, James Bond, uh, N64 James Bond sticking his head right through a window the guard somehow don't notice but for you it's it's wonderful because you can you can walk around the window you can look through it you can aim through it you can see where all the guards are in the next room and then you can go right i'm gonna i'm gonna even shoot this first guard through the window and then i'm gonna burst in i'm gonna kill this guard and this guard and then you can go and um, execute that plan and that's just a lovely feeling for the player because they've come up with that all themselves mm-hmm Jonathan Valentina, I don't want to put you on the spotlight, but it, this is an interrogation. I think for me, is uh, something we mentioned before is making the player feel smart. No matter how we do that, I don't really like hand holding. So if there's any way we can um, either create your level or all your mechanics and how they all work together to guide the player, but make them feel like it's um, it's they that thought of that idea, and it's they it's they who are doing that and not not because the developers tell them to press that button or go that way. I think making them feel smart is definitely one of my, it's not really a trick, but it's kind of my uh, philosophy, I guess, for wanting to build levels and, and how to build the levels. Because I, I feel if we if we create something, if it's super linear, or if you tell a player exactly where to go and how to do things, it just becomes 
it doesn't become a game for me it just feels like a chore and I want to figure things out and I want to be part of the world and and figuring that out as the player it doesn't have to be something it doesn't have to be like puzzle related where it's difficult to think but something that just clicks and it's like oh okay I can do this or you know you, you might not even realize that you're doing it but you're still doing it I think that those are the those are the great moments that I've, I, I like in, in levels and I think I would love to like see more games reduce the their hand holding in, in in all the genres just everywhere just remove all the button presses just like something that and like makes it understandable that now i have to take an action or now i can do something and it's it's the player yeah. that thought of it i think the, the, there's a very i mean i'm t- going to talk about last of us too so this is not a spoiler section at all but uh you're playing as one character and you're walking through this big environment with following somebody else who's obviously guiding you because that's how it's a linear game but if you stop they go and start chatting to somebody and you can then kind of interrogate until you kind of go back to them and then they'll keep on going to where they're going you know and i just noticed this tiny little mechanic of like okay yeah we're not hurrying you but you should really come over here but you know we're not hurrying you but come over (laughs) here but you know it's like you know it, it was kind of very nice it wasn't like uh well, I don't have an analogy, but, you know, usually when you have this companion character. It's not like the follow, just the follow command, like, oh, no, can I, I just have to follow them from here to here, and that's it. It's more like they are walking, they're present in their world, and they are guiding you, but they're not really literally guiding you. Or like, come follow me, and we're going that way. Jonathan, it's up to you. What tool so, in your tool bag? I'll actually go for a tool, since we've had techniques already. Um, but I think as a level designer, like, I always want to have some kind of BSP editor, like in whatever I work with. Mm-hmm. And it's all good having the block kit if your artist has made you all stuff like that. But for me, if I having BSP editors makes the iteration process on a space so much quicker, you can rapidly prototype and test something a lot faster as well. And it might be quick and dirty fixes you're making here, but at this point, you're just trying to get the space to play right and feel right. And especially like Rob mentioned earlier, as soon as this is locked down and gone to art, you're probably not touching this layout again. Like you'll be able to communicate with them. So at least this way you can bend it. And the way I like to kind of look at it is, and it very rarely happens, it's kind of like once you've done the BSP version of the geometry, you're giving it to an artist. And ideally, they're just going to trace over the top of it with pretty art, right? They're not going to mess with your layout. They're not going to break anything. It's going to trace over the top of it. But I think with BSP, you get a lot closer to that because you have a little bit more co- like create a freedom over how the custom geometry appears rather than using a predetermined set. Uh, so it allows you to assess flow a lot quicker. It allows you to as- assess like pinnacles that you can get and also even create your own custom like landmarks and stuff a lot faster as well. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely helped me a lot having that in any editor when I've worked on any projects. Uh, even when the focus of a project might have been building a puzzle, I can quickly build puzzle pieces and test them for the prototype and it makes it prototyping a lot quicker too. Thank you so much. Well, finally, you have to reveal all. What's the best kept secret in show in, in level design, I should say? Oh, actually, sorry, we've run out of time. That's it. And on that note, thank you for watching. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do have a secret, we have a couple of minutes. You know what I'm saying? No? Oh, right. Yeah, connection's gone. Can't reveal anything else. Connection's broken. Oh, well, right I, I can't hear yeah. you. I nope. can't hear you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much can't for joining you. us on this panel for EGX Digital 2020. Thank you very much. And good day, good night, whatever time you're watching this. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.
Level Design Podcast has been a Command Studio production. Our editor is Matthew Lever, and this episode has been produced by Brian Rose.